Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores. And with us today, we have Marcus Holland. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Can you thank you very much? Tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, as you as you said, um, and rightly said, uh, I'm Marcus. Uh, so I, um, I guess I'm kind of uh, in charge of the day to day running of uh, Etype UK. Um, uh, I co run it, and I guess kind of co own it with my with my father, um, who's I guess. Uh, meant to be enjoying kind of retirement um <laughs> but i guess depending on which way you look at it he's uh he's enjoying it in, a, in an alternative form through the guise of classic cars but also uh also being involved in the running of a business which okay. uh, which may not be the most most enjoyable side of it but yeah that's uh that's me yeah yeah, yeah. right so how did this and how did this all begin you said so did you let's let's wind back wind back to sort of early days were you car person from the beginning? Have cars around and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I've always kind of been interested in in cars. You know, like any um, like any uh, kid, I, I always had a had a had a fine collection of, of of cars to play with whilst I was growing up, um, and always wanted more cars and had uh, kind of particular model cars which I would uh, which came in kind of I've forgotten who made them became plastic boxes mm. um, and I would have those on the windowsill kept in their plastic boxes um, and uh, and kind of look at those and, uh, and and ogle at those and every soft and get them out I know you could open the doors you could open the boot you could open the bonnet and uh, and then yeah kind of put them back in but they were they were complete plastic but they were my 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 relative pride yeah. and joy um, from a young age and so yeah, I'd always been kind of interested in my in cars, and Dad had always um, had always owned a couple of kind of uh, sports cars whilst we were growing up, which is always everyone wanted to sit in the front seat of those. Um, and yeah, and uh, you know, then outside of that, it had been kind of grandparents' cars. I remember kind of my first um, 
the first enjoyable experience was was pretending I could drive a mini, which my grandma owned, which used to be sat in the garage and sitting in there and kind of pretending as if I was driving. It was one of the few yeah. cars which I could reach the pedals of from a from a kind of relatively <laughs> young age. I could hold the pedals, sat on the edge of the seat, and just about or hold the steering wheel and just about clip the pedals yeah. from a distance. So, uh, yeah, that kind of um, I guess I guess cars has always been around, but it hasn't necessarily been. From a from a business perspective or from a, a career perspective, something that uh, that I've been involved with, and, and and I guess I've kind of come to it relatively late, so to speak. Um, and as as my father has never been something that he was involved with. He wasn't in the automotive sector or, or anything like that. It's very much been uh, something which we've enjoyed from a distance, and, mm. and and we've enjoyed looking at, but we we haven't been um, intimately involved with. Yeah, and then did you? What was the gap between you being whatever five and E Type UK? <laughs> what what sort of happened in that gap? Um, a reasonable amount happened, I guess. Uh, my dad kind of uh, had a career working up in in London and, and moved overseas a, a reasonable bit, um, and. Yeah, and I, uh, I kind of went to went to school, went to university, uh, came out of university, got a job in in London myself, working in 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 advertising, um, and yeah, for a kind of variety of reasons, I guess, felt like it wasn't it wasn't the right path for me. Uh, I yeah. wasn't particularly enjoying it. It wasn't something I was you know super passionate about. I can I couldn't seriously say I get up in the morning and be like, right, you know, let's go and advertise some shampoo and like i can't wait to <laughs> i can't wait to see the results um yeah there was there was no there was no kind of deep dying passion that got me out of bed every morning and so it was relatively intense it was um it was it was quite cutthroat um it was long hours and uh and yeah and i had um there was kind of some health things that came up and essentially felt like it wasn't the right thing for me um it wasn't what i wanted to continue doing and i was at an age where you know, I didn't have a mortgage and have kids. I didn't have yeah. um, any dependable. So it felt like, right, let's, uh, this is, if I'm going to change, now is the time to change. And I kind of approached my dad, um, I was, was talking to my dad kind of randomly. We used to meet up and go and play golf um, uh, for our sins. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of just to get us in a, in a really bad mood. Um, yeah, going nice. to hang around a golf course. Uh, and play terribly and just do it, you know, once every six months, pretending that we knew what we were doing when we turned up. And, uh, yeah, and it was kind of, we were just talking about things and, um, you know, I'd always followed classic cars. I'd always, you know, I was a bit of a, I guess I was a bit of a Land Rover Defender kind of nuts. Um, mm. I've owned Defenders f- for a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was kind of talking about, well, maybe doing something in the car industry would be a nice idea. My dad, funny enough, was, you know, looking at kind of buying an E-Type at the time, um, something which he remembers from from childhood, something which, uh, you know, he was he recalls and, and was retired essentially and, mm. and, and, and looking at a, at a classic car. And I always kind of, well, E-Types were well out of my price range, obviously knew of them, but could never afford them. And essentially, uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where, we started thinking about, well, maybe you would do something in the classic car space. Um, I had an interest initially. Um, my ambition was to, was to try and work on the cars to try and kind of, uh, be able to, to learn them, be able to fix them, work on them. Um, you know, basically do something, which I think I 
I would enjoy playing playing around with and um, yeah. you know try and turn that into a business and and it just so happens that when we were looking at it and my dad was interested in kind of getting involved in something um, and had an interest in, in e-types it was kind of we were looking around and basically just doing a bit of market research and 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 inquired on a classic car that was business that was for sale and uh, yeah the guy basically said oh well what do you want to do and my dad said well we're kind of interested in e-types and um, you know but we're still relatively open-minded and just looking around and he went well it's funny you say that because the business I've got for sale is an e-type business. Um, and that's kind of, well, the rest is history, but I mean, we're, we're going to go into the history obviously, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how we got to where we got to today. Um, you know, it starts off with my dad kind of coming down having a look around initially just on the basis of, well, let's just go and have a look, you know, see what's, yeah. what's out there and see what it's like and see, you know, what is this business? What does it do? How does it run? And actually got down there and, you know, he quite liked what he saw, um, liked the setup, liked the location, um, you know, liked everything about it effectively. And, and, and things just started falling into place that made it, that made it a viable proposition for us, um, and something which, which we could, could move on and do. And, you know, I was relatively fortunate at the time. I was still working up in London. He was also retired, but it's relatively fortunate at the time that I was able to kind of, agree with the company I was working with that I could I could make a move um sooner than than they would have liked and 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 fundamentally we were able to kind of step in and uh and pick it up interesting as a as like I guess complete outsiders from the from that space like coming in and looking at a business that works on cars and stuff was that quite like it must be quite an interesting learning process of like how obviously this business operates, but also just like how all that fits together, what it looks like from the outside, how is this going to work? That must have been quite a challenging bit at the beginning and also just trying to work out whether it makes sense and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you've ever watched The Apprentice, um, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the things that kind of generally comes up as you get into the latter stages of The Apprentice is um, is 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 Lord Sugar kind of saying, well, what what do you know about X coming from Y? Um, And never has that adage kind of rung more true than when you're, you're going and buying a business, which you know, absolutely nothing about. Um, So to speak, you know, obviously you can do as much market research as you possibly want, and you can do as much talking to people as, as you can. Um, But fundamentally when it comes down to it, the talking eventually has to stop and you have to go in and start running it. And, and the realities of running it are the talking and, and, and the research can never prepare you for it. Yeah. Um, and the reality is extremely different, you know, and certainly uh, the automotive industry is a very mature, well-formed uh, marketplace. And, and, and so, you know, there are people, it's not as if it's only been around a decade, it's been yeah. around for forever. And, and there are, and, and there are people that have worked in it forever, and there are um, yeah there are ways in which it operates which you have to get up to speed to relatively quickly, um, and so yeah it was a it, it, it was a challenge, and certainly we come from as I said we come from a background where we were working in you know essentially service provision, 
we weren't dealing in goods manufacture um, yeah. and, and and service provision as well. So, yeah, it, it took a lot of getting up to speed. It took a lot of learning. It took a lot of kind of moments in dark rooms with 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 cold towels, um, <laughs> kind of going, what have what have we done? And you know, I can't believe we made that mistake. And then you kind of you get um, some people who are well versed in the market who come in and go, you did do that, did you? <laughs> well, yeah we thought it was a good idea at the time and they're like well no that's why no one else is doing it and you kind of go yeah well you know we've realized that, that now, now. <laughs> yeah we, we've learned them where were you you know three weeks ago when we were making the bad decision um give, and yeah those, give me those kind of things an example of like some of the things you know early days of like we thought this was how you did it and actually we learned very quickly that you do not do that yeah uh you know i think I think one of the things that um, the classic, the classic car industry. Well, I guess I'm the car industry, so to speak. But certainly, the classic car industry is diverse and um, and you know is is has a whole range of marks and a whole range of um, of opportunities within it. And I think one of the things that kind of um, comes in is, is is you quite quickly come in and think, well, actually, you know, one of the one of the opportunities for us is you know we're we're E Type UK effectively. So you know. We are a single model, single mark operator. And I think one of the things that you can kind of come in and feel like is, well, you know, um, potentially there's an opportunity to, well, why can't we, why can't you go and do Aston Martins? Why can't you go and yeah. do Ferraris? Why can't you go and do this? And, and it's one of those kind of things of, you know, the simplistic view is, well, they've all got engines, they've all got four wheels, and they've all got seats. And yeah. that's that's the overly simplistic view. The actual the reality is, is you know, there's a lot of nuances that you've got to learn within those marks and within those models. And right. you know, you've really got to get down to an intimate mark model knowledge before you can start operating those spaces and people value um that and they the the customers don't view it as a as a single, you know, as four wheels and engine, a gearbox yeah. and, and, and some seats. Um, and so that was kind of one relatively quick learning. I think the other kind of relatively quick learning is, is actually, you know, one of the key things about businesses, I guess, is trying to scale them up. And, um, you know, we came in and I remember having conversations about, you know, we'd love to be restore, you know, we'd love to have kind of, you know, 20, 30 people. Um, yeah. And actually, when you start recruiting to that level, is it creates a very different beast to what to what we now wants to run and what we are pushing towards. You know, where you start getting into this idea of you need a lot more work. Firstly, and secondly, is you know you start losing control of quality. Um, you need a lot more space. You know, you need to you need to you need to expand significantly. And actually, that that brings up a whole raft of other challenges with it. And certainly those are things where we came in initially and were like, right, there's no reason why, you know, we can push into Aston Martins being an, another another brand. And there's no reason why we can recruit, you know, we can have 30 people. Yeah. Um, and when we bought the business, we had four or five. And so to get up to, you know, 30 was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to... We have to be going for it, you know. It's going to be like, yeah. wow, it's, we're going to have we're going to have an, our, our own little city here, yeah, um, <laughs> of people and things, and we'll get we'll get Sainsbury's on board, and they'll they'll build us a little Sainsbury's local and all the rest of it. It was uh, yeah, ambitions of grandeur, and and I think you quite quickly realise that 
maybe that's possible in the new car space. Maybe you can get a, you can do that a lot more in the new car space because you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with people's everyday vehicles and they're not as concerned about actually their view of going to, they buy a VW, they go to VW. They may do that whilst they're under warranty and whilst they're um, under a service plan. But the second that they step out of that three-year warranty, generally they're like, well, actually the work that I can get done for £800, VW I can get done for £400 yeah. at another garage. And they're fine with that. And they don't mind that it's not a VW specialist. They're, they're fine that it's working on a BMW, it's working on an Audi, it's working on a Skoda. They're, they're yeah. fine with that. That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't apply in the classic car market. And there is precious little research into such a niche industry as the classic car market of how it operates. Mm. So you do come in looking at things going, well, this is how the automotive space works. It's a very broad yeah. space. Yeah, and then you go, okay, well, we could do a bunch of servicing on all sorts of vehicles whilst in the background doing some restorations and whatnot, etc. But then, yeah, I imagine as soon as you start to scale, you go, well, hang on, we need all of these cars to come to us. And actually, how many, like, how big is the, how many E-types are there in the UK? Do you know? Or do you have a vague idea? Like on the road? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, they made about 70,000 across all three marks, and predominantly they were made for for the US market. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how many were made, were remain on the road in the UK today, but certainly, you know, the numbers are increasing and uh, and generally they are kind of, the UK is a draw market for the, for the E-Type. Mm. So when did you start, when did you start E-Type UK? So effectively, we took over the running of it, yeah, from January 2016. Um, So we kind of stepped in basically January 2016 and, yeah, and started running it from there. And there was no, um, yeah, there was no kind of handover period with the previous owner. There was, it was just a case of, okay, here's the, here's here's the keys and um, have fun. And that was kind of, yeah, (laughs) that was it. And then, uh, yeah, away, away we went. The um, it, have you retained most of the those original staff, or is that so? Yeah. So when we started, yeah. So when we started, you know, um, the staff were 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 critical. They came with the business that was effectively really what we were buying. Yeah. Um, was that kind of the staff, the knowledge? Um, yeah, there was a degree of okay, there was a reputation, and there was there was a customer database, but you know, customers will take a view on, on, a, on a new business under new ownership yeah. and, and, and they can, they can leave, but fundamentally the staff, you know, we, we bought across, um, you know, now, nowadays there aren't the staff that we, we took the business over with, there aren't, they aren't, they don't remain with us. Um, so we have had a kind of full changeover of staff from those days. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons, really. Um, you know, we've taken the business in a different direction. Um, and, and also people have retired, you know, yeah. one of the challenges in the classic car space is recruitment and is getting hold of people. And when we started, there was only uh, two full-time members of staff effectively. The others were, were, were part-time, you know, yeah. four days a week, three days a week, because their view one chap was basically said, you know, he's happy to hang around for six months 
that he wants to retire before the winter comes. Um, okay. And that was kind of his ambition. And so it was like, yeah. he's like, I really want to help out. Um, I want to see you guys succeed, but I also want to retire. Um, yeah. And I think he was mid sixties and, you know, fair enough. It's like, yeah. he's, he's, he's waited and, um, you know, he's happy to give us more of his time. And, and then, yeah, you know, he wants to go off and, and enjoy himself. And why, why not? Yeah. 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 So is it, has it got gotten harder and harder over time to recruit people? Because as you said, it's 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 having the in-depth knowledge of the cars, and you know, to be a real specialist, you've got to have a lot of a lot of that, and that is a lot in the people. But do you have like a good sort of training setup for new people, and then also, yeah, how do you get? Has that been tricky or? Yeah, new people is. I, and I, I think this is industry wide. I don't think this will be unique, um, unique in any way to us um, at all. Uh, but I would say in the workshop side, uh, we do try and run with an apprentice. We do try and kind of bring them through. Um, one of the challenges is you know we can't constantly have an apprentice if if an apprentice stays. Effectively, we've got to rely yeah. on a bit of natural drop off. The challenges is is actually finding an apprentice. Um, a lot of the kind of courses um, that exist within now uh, mechanical courses are, are focused on teaching uh, potential people that want to join the industry modern cars and modern diagnostics techniques. Um, and then at the body shop side, it's it's extremely difficult. And I would say the body shop side across the industry is, is the side that's, that's most adversely affected. Um, and yeah, we try and bring people through the challenge for us is, you know, we, we don't have a big deep team where we can afford for, you know, we've got one metal worker, we've got someone that yeah. paints, you know, it's kind of like if we are training, and not working, then cars aren't getting done, and and yeah. and, and we've got to work to cut for customers. And so, yeah, it, it's a it's a big challenge. It's something whereby there are um, there are various schemes in the UK which are trying to kind of bring through those skill sets. But you know, nowadays you can't even you know a few years ago you maybe could rely on taking somebody from a VW garage who had kind mm. of been become disillusioned with the. Uh, right, you've got to be this spillable, you've got to do this, you've got to get through yeah. 20 jobs a day, this kind of thing, and then you, they want to step into the classic car world, but they un, they understand because they have worked on and grew up working on carburettors and and, and, and tuning engines and dealing yeah. points. Now, as we evolve every year that goes by, those people, the people that come from modern dealership, they've never seen a carburettor. Um, yeah. They don't know how to tune, how to tune it. They don't, they are used to going, well, you know, where do I plug the, the, the ECU yeah. reader in? And so you're kind of, you're dealing with very different worlds. And in some ways that can be untrainable because they are so used to a set way of dealing with, with things. And yeah. they've reached a level as well where financially they just can't afford to step away from going, okay, I'm happy to take a pay cut to effectively learn to then step yeah. back up. And so you end up in this kind of, you've got a whole multitude of problems that are, 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 are working against you. And obviously most children nowadays, they, you know, they want to, they want to be the next, uh, you know, YouTube gamer or they want to <laughs> yeah, be, yeah, yeah. you know, they want to work in 
crypto or whatever. Or, yeah, who knows? That's it. They don't aspire to go, I want to work with my hands. Yeah. I want to, you know, learn a skill. And that in and of itself creates a, a lack of appetite for people to necessarily join the industry. And then when they do form the appetite, they're at an age where they, they can't afford to, to, to take the hit financially to, to, to step in. Yeah, it is. I, you always see, you know, go to various places and the bodywork, uh, the bodywork stuff is always on like metalwork specifically. You see, seeing what people do and take this like a flat sheet of whatever, aluminium or something, and then just like roll it all out and create this crazy complex shape that then eventually just like fits like pretty much exactly you're like how the did you do that (laughs) it's super it's insane and it's like the skill set that that exists within that is becoming rarer and rarer and obviously like a few years ago when you were working in restoration like that was the only way to get hold of pants you had to get the english wheel you had to get a sheet bit of metal get an english wheel and effectively wheel out this sheet bit of metal and get it to the perfect shape and now with the explosion of classic cars and the interest within classic cars is increasingly more and more of those even those skill sets are passing or, or moving away within the classic car because people are pressing these panels now there's there's a market that exists whereby these panels can be made uh, at bulk and you're never going to compete with you know they're on the english wheel wheeling out but when yeah. you see it it is like i mean it's it's super impressive and and it's such an important part. I mean, you know, on any classic car, but especially on, on an E-type as a monocoque constructed chassis is you have rust in the body. Well, there is no, there is no chassis per se. It's not like, okay, when you take the panel off, you, you're fine. As long as the chassis is fine, yeah. if the panel's rusty, it doesn't matter. And then on an E-type, if the panels are rusty, like you've got a problem, like <laughs> you need to, that's got to come off and you're talking, you know, major, major surgery there on the car. And, um, that's expensive and uh there's a lot of work that goes into it um you know from a restoration point of view we'd we we'd kind of view it almost as as 50 50 um and for so for customers you know 50 percent of what you're, you're you're paying for is going on on the bodywork which at the yeah. end of it you just see a nice painted shell yeah you don't see this lovely engine and you don't have your nice you know gearbox and you don't have um, or new brake calipers and new wheels. You've just got a painted shell, and actually, you've spent a lot of money just uh, for somebody to put the paint on, which fundamentally probably, whilst looking better, doesn't look. Yeah, it doesn't look drastically different. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, yeah. yeah, but when we started taking away some of this filler, you should have seen the holes. They're like, yeah, I couldn't see the holes before. That's they weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we've had it before where like we've had customers whereby you blast the car, yeah. and they've come in and be like this isn't my car. Like, it can't be my car. <laughs> and you're like, this is it. Like, this is, this is it. Um, um, yeah. We had a, a chat bought a car from auction and it was like, I mean, it had two floors on it and it had filler. I mean, we've never seen filler on the floor, but somebody oh, had, like, nice. filled the yeah. floor of the car and you're kind of going, yeah, so unfortunately this is it. Um, this is genuinely your car. I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's certainly kind of interesting when you see them coming back and increasingly they come back worse and worse. You know, there's yeah. is now you used to talk about like rust free Californian examples. They've largely kind of disappeared now. Everyone's got yeah. hold of the genuinely rust free Californian examples and even the ones that come from California now you're kind of going 
you, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't maybe <laughs> New York? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or it was in New California. York and left yeah. And then Wales for 10 years. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was left outside of Wales in there after a brief, brief fleeting trip via California. Yeah. It's the, that sort of situation and doing body work and whatnot. Does that, the level, have you seen the level? I want to phrase this question in terms of car prices and how e-types have changed over time and different e-types are now worth lots more than other e-types etc 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 are people more willing to presumably spend more money on certain cars and then have they all got to a point where it actually makes sense or is just the labour cost of fixing stuff how often does you just go I mean you can do it but like it's going to cost you way more than the car's worth. Yeah, I don't. It's a difficult one. I mean, my so I I once spoke to um, to a restorer who kind of said, you know, unless you're spending a, a well-known restoration company, and he said, unless you're spending kind of uh, three hundred grand on a restoration, like essentially, probably don't bother doing it. Was <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. his his view. Um, yeah. And whilst I think that's maybe a bit a bit drastic, uh, to a degree, I think I think it, it may well be true. You know, it, mm. it may well be a case of, you know, that is the truth. And certainly, you know, um, we don't charge anywhere near that kind of price for a full restoration. But it is a case of like I gen- I generally think that, you know, any car that you restore, my advice is generally to any person into a restoration is do it because you love the car. Like. Yeah your restoration is going to take a long time for a start. And if what you're hoping is, well, if I restore it today, by the time I finish the restoration, hopefully the markets move with me and I've kind of got in at a price whereby I'm now, I'm now even is my view is, is, you know, restore a car, work on the basis that the bottom is going to absolutely fall out of the restoration market. And at the end of it, you look at the car and go, lovely car. And I'm happy to drive that into the sunset and use it for years and years to come. Yeah, and if you approach on that basis, then you're not disappointed. Um, that said, we certainly have people who who have bought and restored cars, and they have done extremely well because the market has evolved, and they were restoring cars at the cost of a restoration five, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine, ten years ago. Um, I generally think, though, that on obviously I, I'm only intimately kind of knowledgeable on predominantly e types from a restoration point of view. By uh, talking, and we've got guys who have worked on restoring Ferraris, restoring Aston Martins, you know, we've got a big Ferrari contingent amongst our employees. And that kind of thing is, is actually, well, when you're into restoring Ferraris, the price of the car may be, or maybe, you know, in some instances, a lot more valuable. Yeah. But actually, you can't get the part. So you're spending right. a lot more time making a bespoke part, which then you have to fit on the car. And fundamentally, at the end of it, is the car may only be worth what you put into restoring. And that's just because the labor required to restore the car um, costs a lot more, but certainly the price of restoration has evolved along with the cost of the cars. Um, and I generally think that, you know, restoration should be done. Yeah. Because, because you love it. Um, and then hopefully at the end of it, you kind of go, Oh, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> that was a pleasant surprise. I've actually, you know, I've yeah. made some money on it and perfect. And I think either way, it's unlikely you're going to lose as much as you're as you'll lose on your modern car when you drive it off yeah. off the forecourt. You know, it's 
people's perspective of a classic car against a modern car. You know, somebody will, a customer will turn up in a, with a brand new Range Rover and we'll yeah. kind of go, oh, but, you know, I might lose 10% on this classic car. So we'll... <laughs> you just lost 20. Your, yeah, yeah, your Range Rover <laughs> is, you know, it's a, it's a perspective thing. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. But I certainly think, you know, restoration is a big undertaking and the cost has evolved. And I think the standard of restoration has evolved. I think everyone is restoring cars to a better level than what you could get last year, two years ago, five years yeah. ago. I think that generally the restoration standard is evolving and moving and people are, are, are restoring cars better and the customer understands better what's evolved in the restoration and what's it done to a better standard. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. What does it, and what are the sort of, some of the things that you would say, like if you say a car has been sort of restored better, um, you know, or like now than maybe one that's done 10 years ago or something, just as a general what sorts of things might be done, you know, like let's say with you guys, you know that cars done now are probably done better than they were 15 years ago. What sort of things have evolved over that time? Like what's different? How could you distinguish between two cars? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is, is the rest is the industry has, has moved a lot more. So it's kind of, I think that when you kind of get a car in from, from 15 years ago, as an example, we've got a few cars, um, we've had a few cars in and it's like, what somebody would do as a, from a restoration point of view is they will take the the loom that's currently in the car and effectively they will, if it's lost its sheathing, they will just tape over electrical tape as the new sheathing for, for yeah. the loom. Well, now we would never do that. And, and a customer wouldn't accept that as a, as a standard of restoration. Like, you know, the kind of the cars built by um, cable ties, like everything's cable tied on, you know, you, yeah. you, you wouldn't get away with that. Those are the very visual things that you kind of get yeah. involved with. Um, we had it the other day where a customer bought in a car and said, oh, yeah, you know, it had a, it's, it's had a full restoration, um, you know, 10 years ago and it's had a, and, it, and it's had an engine rebuild and we stuck a camera into the engine to have a look because it had a very, um, leaky or, or, um, a very kind of, um, engine was throwing off a lot of smoke and, mm. We stuck a camera into him and went, hmm, not so <laughs> sure this has had this has had what we would deem to be an engine rebuild. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of send, you know, sends a copy of the invoice in and you look at it and you go, yeah, 
that's not a that's not what you would deem an engine rebuild today. You know, it hasn't it hasn't been reborn, it hasn't been relined, it doesn't have new pistons in it. You know, and that's just what then you start getting into the internals. And you know, you a few ten years ago or something, it may have been acceptable to reuse decent gear sets. Now traditionally, everyone's kind of remaking gear sets and things, and so the standards just evolving and, and moving forward and yeah. just the options that are available now, you know, you can, if you really want to, you know, you can get magnesium cased parts and things. It's like the, the technology has existed whereby it's a lot more accessible for people to kind of go, okay, actually I want to get hold, like I want something a bit more unique. I want a bit more, yeah. a bit more bespoke and that's filtering down as, as these products become more, more readily available. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Because I remember someone uh, looking at this sort of stuff ages ago um, and someone basically looking at what cars it made sense to restore and what not. And they were basically like, well, pretty much restoring any car with a little asterisk on it doesn't cost drastically different to restore. Like pick car A and car B, any make, any manufacturer, they're not going to cost drastically different to restore, excluding, you know, whatever, certain stuff. So, like, if you restore something that was made, they made a hundred bazillion of and no one wants, you're just going to spend whatever it is, a hundred grand or, or something, and it's still going to be worth the five grand you paid for it, maybe six. Like, there is a line of, there's just never, a, you're, you're spending the money, and the, the cost price between the finished result and the start result might not even fluctuate that much because you're like, well, that's a nice one and that's a rubbish one, but they're all 10K. Um, yeah, absolutely. In, in E-types, so when I came, came to visit you guys, I yes. genuinely had not a lot of knowledge of E-types. I knew that, that was like an E-type. I knew there was various types of E-types. Um, can we just run through the different the different versions and the main differences. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the kind of headline versions are you've got, you've got essentially, you've got three series. So you've got a series one, a series two, and a, and a series three. And the easiest way to tell any one from another is fundamentally the front end, the bonnet. Um, so mm. your series ones have enclosed headlights. Um, your series twos will have open headlights and then your series threes will also have open headlights, but then they will have a bigger, more pronounced grill. So effectively, you move from kind of a badge bar that goes runs across the center for a series two into a uh, into a kind of a series of of, of lined grills um, that exist. So so yeah, so you, that's that's predominantly the way to tell it. If I was telling everyone, mm. you can tell from the back end as well. Uh, you can tell from the engine bay, um, and you can tell from from from, from trip um, as well. But fundamentally, is yeah, when you're into a series two, you can see that badge bar across the front, yeah. and then on the back end, you've kind of got a aluminium plate with the uh, with the light cluster on it. Um, series ones, mm. those are slightly different, and series twos and series threes from a rear end aren't all that dissimilar. Um, but predominantly, I would always say something. You know, look at the front. And then from the front, you can start telling what the car is. Yeah. Um, and series ones, uh, yeah, are traditionally and historically the most the most valuable cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got series threes, series twos that kind of 
trade places, um, you know, depends who you talk to, would depend on who places values on which one um, above above the other. Um, but certainly, uh, yeah, series series three and series twos are are, are there or thereabouts of value. Um, and what's the like? What's the most expensive? Is like a what is it? Series one manual. Yeah, something. series one manual lightweight e type, um, and those will go into well into the billions. Um, yeah, and that's ba- that's know. like a ra- that's a race car, right? Yeah, that's a lightweight e type that was made. Um, you know, they made twelve of them, um, and and yeah, they are six seven million pounds. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know, impossible to get hold of. Um, and then <laughs> yeah, and then kind of after that, you'll have. You have the external bonnet lockers. Um, so those have a kind of tear shape um, locking mechanism on the exterior of the bonnet um, down near the seal. And and those, you know, those depending on fixed heads, fixed heads are rarer. And then you've got uh, rotors that aren't as rare. But you could you could easily trade hands on those three, four, five hundred thousand pounds okay. um, on those kind of cars. And then you move into the into the series ones um the series ones have, have kind of two derivatives so you've got a 3.8 and a 4.2 cent engine size um there are differences there that you can tell between the cars so once again you know there's slightly different trims um there's slightly different components that sit within the engine bay um but the fundamental difference is, is, is the size of the engine and then you would look at the trim and that's the easiest way to solve the difference yeah. um and those yeah i mean those you know, you can you can sell those depending on spec you've got, depending on its provenance, depending on on uh, what the car is. You know, you could sell those for two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand. Um, you know, without without too much drama. You know, but most yeah. will trade will trade below that. But yeah, and then you're into into series twos, which you know you can get for around the hundred thousand pounds at the at the top end, maybe maybe a little bit higher and then series threes you can probably push into into the hundreds into maybe the mid hundreds um you know 100 150 140 at the very top end for something for something like that so you know that's a kind of rough steer on yeah. on on top end prices and what's the what's the like cheapest least desirable e type yeah, cheap, so... cheap. Let's just say cheapest, and then okay. people absolutely. like different stuff. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to put anyone, you know, anyone's car like a, I think generally anyone's car down, but certainly, like I think probably an auto, automatic, three. absolutely, yeah. And that that kind of I guess makes a degree of sense because I would say to somebody, you know, automatic, like yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm completely sold on an automatic when I'm driving to and from work and I'm getting stuck in traffic and I'm doing 10 miles an hour and, you know, then going up to 20 and 30 and then having to go back down to stopping. It's yeah. like a manual, it's yeah, okay, nightmare. Um, so an automatic is great, but generally people buy their classic cars because they want to go out on an yeah. evening, they want to go out on the weekend, they want to go on a rally, they want to go on a tour. And so they want a manual. Um, mm. And so, you know, people aren't as, they're, they're, they're happy to take the gear changing um, over their, their, their kind of modern cars. So certainly automatics, I would say, generally trade at a, at a discount. Um, and then what you're looking at is the, I guess, the kind of longer wheelbase cars, although Series 3 is, is a longer wheelbase, but, you know, you've got the seri- the 2 plus 2s um, yeah. as well. Uh, and then the fixed heads, uh, you know, if you're into a Series 3, 
automatic. Mm. Generally, that is at a discount. You know, the Series 1, 2 plus 2 automatic is at a discount. You can't, you you, you can, but you, you can't, you know, really the, the, the Series 1s can't accept an automatic gearbox. They're just not long enough. Um, yeah. And the gearbox tunnel isn't isn't big enough to accept an automatic gearbox. So um, you actually can't get it in, in, in a full Series 1 spec, uh, but Series 1, 2 plus 2s. You know those kind of cars, yeah, do trade at a discount yeah. certainly. And if if someone buys a like you sort of would do with, might do with a nine eleven, you get like a long hood car. Do people buy a, like a longer one or a two plus two, and then in a restoration make it not a two plus two? Does that happen in the E type world? I, I, yes, that has happened. We we don't do it. Um, the reason being is. Like for us to do it, I mean, it would be a fortune. It would yeah. be stupid money because essentially you'd be replacing, you know, large parts of the body, and you're into kind of things that aren't aren't really remade, like roofs and things. Yeah. So actually, what you would end up be taking is you'd be taking this on a long wheelbase, and then you'd almost be trying to find another shell and like yeah. buy this other <laughs> shell, and then go, okay, now this is it. Um, and so, yeah, but I have heard of it done. Uh, you know, we've heard of, uh, you know, Series 3 fixed heads, who are two plus two bodies becoming Series 3 roadsters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you've kind of got cars that start off with fixed heads, become roadsters, and start off as two plus twos and become roadsters and short wheelbase cars. And it's, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I, I haven't worked out the logical steps into yeah. into how that happens it. <laughs> yeah it's kind of it feels like a load more work and a load more cost um for not a lot more price difference in actual car that's it yeah exactly um and you know there's a market for everything so it seems like a shame as well to you know take out a two plus two which you know some people um very wealthy chap that we know uh you know he has a series three two plus two because his thing is, is like he's got kids and, and a yeah. wife, and he's not that keen on getting rid of them. Um, yeah. You know, he doesn't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want to flog them off. He wants to he wants to take them with him. So, mm. kind of the way that you can do that is go, okay, right, I've got a two plus two. I can still drive a classic car. I still enjoy yeah. my classic car, and I can take my family with me. Like, great, win win. You know, um, and it's like you know he loves it. His view is is okay. He accepts his series one is more valuable and whatever yeah. and for the purest better but if you can't use he, it <laughs> yeah, he can't he can't take his kids with him and he's fairly attached to his kids so yeah. it's kind of yeah fair enough um yeah so it just seems a shame if if it's kind of a, a one-size-fits-all for, for for cars and everyone works to to try and funnel down into this kind of perfect perfect uh setup and yeah. like like the Have automatics you, as well do you see sort of we're probably in an interesting time for e-types in terms of their popularity, um, like moving forwards and over the last like five years, presumably the, the super special, you know, race cars and the perfect, let's say series one or whatever, those cars just sort of keep going up because they're the on, on paper, you know, someone wants to buy the perfect E type. So they buy those cars, those sort of price just sort of going up. And then the other stuff, I don't know whether I, I guess are we at peak E type popularity at the moment? Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know. In terms yeah. of the others, maybe they'll because there's quite a few. Whether they'll start to sort of either stag, st- stay at a price 
and then just depend on condition. How, how have you found that has changed over the last yeah, I, five years or so? Again, like it's one of these kind of things where you open any uh, any, um, any kind of uh, magazine, I guess, or a classic car magazine. I assume it's the same in any in any magazine. You're going to have the kind of um, the doomsday kind of predictors who are saying this is yeah. this is the ends. We've yeah. reached we've reached it, and that sells magazines. You know, don't get me wrong. It's yeah. it's it's it kind of. Um, gets people interested and they pick it up and then they 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 come in to buy a car and they're quoting you know obscure <laughs> references from you know five years ago of, of how the end is nigh and um, yeah and and yeah you you absolutely get that and at the same time then you get you know you have you have another magazine same month or a month later going this is this is it you know this is prices are about to boom um, and my kind of view on on prices is actually I think the market's in a in a in one of its healthiest states certainly since we've been involved in it mm. um, I think it went through a kind of a lot of headlines it went through a rapid rise of you know right prices of classic cars shot up and you had this thing of you know articles about it being better than gold and yeah, 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 you yeah. know buy a classic car today in six months vlog it and it's like god you're gonna yeah. be you know it's gonna be like del boy or <laughs> selling it the selling painting or auction you're gonna, gonna be selling it for millions and it's like that's that's what people bought into and so you end up having this influx of people that had no interest in the cars they yeah. were reading these stories about you know what a great investment category you had these newspapers mainstream newspapers publishing you know about how great these were as investments and you had people flooding into the market just buying anything kind of going yeah. oh well it's an e-type you know or it's a whatever yeah, it's an yeah. i can't go wrong you know and you had that and that pumped the market up and to a degree, you know, you, you, the, mark, the the data that is available to everyone, the only available data really that people have access to is auction data. Mm. And that's what people judge the market on. And I've, I've bought cars through auctions. I've sold cars through auctions. Auctions are, are, are great, but there's an inherent risk. You know, you come and buy a car from us or from any other dealer. You can test drive it traditionally. You can yeah. sit in it. You can turn it on. You can roll it around. They probably have a ramp. Most dealers will have a ramp somewhere. You can stick it on the ramp. You're having a good look underneath underneath it. And fundamentally is, you know, we are, most people are selling them on the basis of, well, you know, you're supplying from a dealer. So, you know, I'm going to be here tomorrow. Like, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you, tear all this down and move, you know, five miles away and change my name and all the rest of it. So it's like, and, um, yeah, and, and, and you buy from that. You buy from an auction. They generally don't have a ramp. They don't have the facilities to offer you to test drive it. But they went through a stage of, because it was driven by this inflating price, is people were just buying cars from wherever they can get them from. And very much, you had this kind of thing of, well, auction data was setting the thing now, was setting the market. And I think you saw this big rise and everyone started going, well, hang on a second. We've, we've, we've hit it and we're kind of, yeah. are, we, are we turning? And is the bubble going to pop? And I think prices dropped and came back down, and 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 everyone's going, oh, so this is this is you know we're going to have another another uh, another bursting of the bubble, and and actually I think what happened was people, yeah, people got jittery, people got a bit nervous. I think a lot of the investors ran away and went, okay, look out, you know, cut my losses. Yeah, didn't know anything about it, shouldn't have got involved in it, sell the car. 
And yeah, and then I think what's actually happened is the market's leveled and it's just sat and it's kind of, it's found its normal rhythm, it's found its normal pace. And actually in the last couple of years, obviously COVID has, has had an effect, you know, the dreaded COVID that everyone has spoken about. I feel about. like it's helped quite a lot of the car market. I would tend to agree. I would actually agree with that. I think from our perspective, you know, there's no getting away from it. The cars aren't cheap. Um, and generally you need to have a certain amount of disposable income to afford it because they're not cheap to buy yeah. and they need more maintenance than your everyday car. And actually what we found is is people that are buying those cars are traditionally time poor and actually COVID gave them time back to a degree. They, they mm. weren't flying. They weren't having to go and do this and do that. And actually, you know, they weren't going on holiday with the family when they had their only time off or whatever it may be. And so actually we ended up in a position where suddenly you had people that had always wanted one, but didn't have the time to necessarily research it, to get involved in it, coming in and getting involved in it. And so I think it actually helped the market and helped it kind of, okay, you know, people were were coming in and, and, and were interested in the cars and could spend the time. And actually we saw, we saw, we sold to some good customers who have kind of stuck with us and um, and are loving their cars now and delighted that they bought it. But um, yeah, you know, there's no getting away, there's no getting away from, unfortunately it did have a number of um, negative impacts as well, yes, which is, yes, uh, yes, of course, but certainly, yeah, from our side, you know, it was, it, it was okay, but I think it's found its normal rhythm. And I think now it's in a healthier place. Like one of the things a few years ago or five, six, seven years ago was actually, trying to tell a customer when they saw a car selling at auction for whatever yeah, you know, it's silly money trying to tell them that their car wasn't worth that but you know yeah. it's, it's, we're not playing on in on the on the same field actually now what we're saying to customers is well actually yeah you, your car's probably worth more than you think it is and actually you know auctions aren't able to achieve the same prices that they were and to a degree, looking at that data isn't a fair representation of what can be achieved within the market because the yeah. market has has evolved. And actually, my personal opinion, um, I said I auctions have a place and 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 they do a lot of good and they are they're great for the market. But you know, I think the market should be set by a dealer who is offering the reassurances, who is giving the customer the ability to really inspect and look over the car. Mm over something that's a bit more of the moment on the day did you get the right people to turn up well that's it and with auctions it is very much like have you because buying a car as soon as they start getting rarer and more niche like finding the person for that car you get to a smaller number of people and then you might find let's just say there's whatever five people that are might be buyers for that car getting them all on one day to be in a position to go no actually this this day is the day that i'm going to put the cash down i've sorted out the other stuff i've done this i've done that of whatever on that day i'm going to buy the car is actually really hard like it's much easier to go there's a car sitting there for sale at the right price and someone's looking at it going i kind of want to buy that but like, yeah. I need a couple of weeks. That's I it. need to work some stuff out. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's like it's that we do get people that walk in on the day and go, "Is the money or is the check? You know, or where's the car machine? Yeah. Get it out! You know, I'm 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 paying it all now." And yeah. it's kind of, but most people are buying the cars and going, "Hey, look, you know, I need to move some things around. I need to sell some things. 
I need a bit of time to get the money together. And we give people, you know, 14 days. It's like, you know, we give them two weeks to kind of say, okay, can you get everything sorted within two weeks? If not, communicate with us, let's talk and let's see where we can get to. Um, and, you know, it's it's something whereby we try, you've got to try and work with, with the people, as you say, for auctions to get that perfect. And if someone's looking to finance the car, whatever it may be is, you know, those things can take time. And so they just struggle to, to coordinate all of those moving parts. And yeah, fair enough. Um, I remember the guy or a guy in the trade said, you know, from his point of view, he buys a car from auction if, if it's half the value of what he thinks is worth. Okay. This, he's buying on the basis of he can't drive it. He can't, yeah. you know, it's difficult to inspect it. And if you can get it at that price, well, it's all in the price. He can fix all the problems yeah. for it. Um, and that's all, that's all kind of good to go, so to speak. So it's, and that's, yeah, that's it's like the pure trend. business line. Like that person is buying yeah. it to sell it. So they're like, I need to leave a X amount in and I'll just blanket, watch everything and go, that seems cheap, buy it. That seems yeah. cheap, buy it. That seems cheap. Buy five cars. Maybe one needs some work. Four are great. Boom. Made some money. Happy days. That's it. Yeah. And we had it, you know, like uh, there's a, a, a magazine, which I won't, um, which I won't, I won't mention the name of, but you know, there's a guy that writes in it. And, you know, he's quite disparaging about the fact that, oh, you know, saw this car at auction, dealer's gone and bought it, stuck it up 20% more. Of course they did. Or 30% more. And it's like, well, you know, that's, BCA auctions in the modern car world, that's that's how people get their stock. Like, that's that's how it works. And if they see a deal where they believe the car is genuinely undervalued, why can't, why shouldn't they do that? Why Anyone can know? do that. And, yeah, and they're taking the risk. Like, they're yeah. taking the risk. They're buying the car not knowing that it may not have a whole raft of issues that underlie it. Well, this, you know, beautiful, beautifully painted car may have, you know, engine may be busted on it or whatever and yeah. you just don't know until until you get back and like you said you get a lot of customers and a lot of people that don't want to buy a car from an auction for all of the yeah. reasons so even if they're just not even in the room they're not in the room when the price goes through and you go oh, i mean i would have bought it for that but there was no one there yeah so the dealer's like well i'll have it and then they're like well i, I believe this is worth that i'll put it up for sale who knows it might sell it might not sell but you can't you can't blame someone for buying something and putting a price on it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that's kind of it's almost like that deal should be left to the to the public to to, yeah, to yeah. kind of sweep up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, we know what you bought. The yeah. <laughs> the person who then knows that knows the dealer bought it, and then it's on for sale a week later, having had a minor oil change or whatever. They, they they can go in with that knowledge and they go well I know you yeah. paid this for it so like I'll offer you That's this it. and the dealer might go yeah or they might go nah whatever yeah no I know it's worth X that's what I'm willing to sell it for yeah. and that's their prerogative you know at the end of the day they bought it they own it they can sell it for the price that they see fit yeah um, yeah absolutely I think it's uh, it's, a, it, it's such a public like auction you know I don't know I, I don't follow enough kind of you know, new car auction, so to speak, mm. but, you know, BCA or whatever, you know, the classic car auction market is so well publicized. You want to get hold of it, you can get hold of it in a heartbeat very, very quickly. And there'll be lists, you know, there, there are sites and there are places which are listing by chassis number, by detail. So, yeah. you know, they've been doing it for 
years and so you can they've actually got a really really strong foundation of cars and you know you can almost go through and track certain individual cars how they've sold over the years yeah. on a chassis number and it's like you know it's so public that you know when you buy it, it's kind of like okay you know it is it is there um i said so i don't track enough about the modern car auction scene but you know it seems like it's a little bit more obscure it's it's not as well tracked it's not as well documented publicly where it's like you can just go into a website and go okay yeah how much did this three series bmw sell for yeah. at bta and how much does this guy bought it for and then okay perfect um we're in yeah yeah, 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 yeah. it is an interesting one the the classic car kind of auction space it's in a real like we're, we're getting you know we're getting so many more online auctions which you do I, I think more people tune in they don't necessarily buy but more people see in the online space if it's marketed well because historically i'm not going to list any but like there was always certain auctions where cars just just you just knew you were going to get cheap cars because like it was whether it was like towards the end of the season of the cars and like there's always been a, a couple of massive sales in three weeks before and then for some reason a car that could easily have been in one of the other ones ends up in this sale at the end of the day that no one goes to and you don't get yeah you might get one buyer but you don't get five and therefore you don't get the crazy the crazy price and one of my friends yeah, yeah. is really good at watching generally buys more modern stuff but watching auctions to see like weird cars that have been thrown in you know it's like it's yeah, all yeah. classic cars and there's one modern car that's like is actually a bit niche and is quite cool but no one that's going to that auction probably cares about it or has a clue and then it's like yep i'll put a bit in yeah oh, that worked yeah. out great two years later sells it or whatever <laughs> um yeah. yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting one with um with e-type uk because you you are a sort of dealership, you sell cars, um, and then you also yeah. do work. So that, that, that's right. Um, do you, will you sort of take in stock and sell that car as is? Or do you have like a, we're E-Type UK, we've done a couple of things or, you know, all of our cars will definitely run for a year. Or do you have any anything like that that you sort of do? Yeah, so, you know, again, it's, as kind of anything and i'm sure as uh as you found in the in the wonderful world of uh of kind of podcasting and 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 youtube is you know people now are very quick to um put comments on to to say things to to be disparaging and yeah. if things go wrong with a product now it's people's instant reaction is right online like yeah. you know in some just don't even go back to the people just get yeah. online and start you know start saying what's happened um and yeah so from our point of view when that comes to you know selling cars we have to be extremely extremely careful and you know a margin that we hope to make on cars which is certainly not 20 percent or anything near that you know it's not even half that um is that can be eaten up if if the engine goes pop then yeah. you know that's where we're in trouble um and so we have to be extremely careful when it comes to selling cars and taking on cars for sale um 
I think a lot of people, certainly, you know, you, you hear of people that kind of turn up and they kind of go, oh, so, you know, if I drive away and something goes wrong, I'm assuming I'm on my own. And you're like, well, hmm, um, not really. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I think probably legally that's a, that's a tricky position for us to adopt um, outside of, of, of the other issues that that may have. Um, and so, yeah, what we do when we come to selling a car is, is we have about 130-point inspection that we go through of the workshop. And sometimes we're able just to go, okay, car goes up, like, you know, happy. Yeah. We'll, we'll do about 50 miles in the car. Yeah, no problems. Up it goes. Uh, uh, seller's happy. We're happy. Um, and uh, we move forward to selling the car. Other times it's a question of, okay, we find issues and we go, okay, these are the issues that we found with the car. We actually, you will need to get these fixed either through ourselves or through someone else. Yeah. Um, but they need, they need to be addressed. We can't sell the car like this. And quite often we say to people, look, we, it's just, it's not the car for us. Um, yeah. It's not a car which, which, which we're in a position to offer for sale or we can offer a purchase on the car. And that's for a range of factors. You know, sometimes the cars whilst they they drive up you know we do compression tests we just do very basic testing on them you know it's 130 points it sounds impressive but it's it's all the basic stuff and we're going to go through and we go well you know the engine needs rebuilding the gearbox is is crunching in and out of gears the diff is very whiny and then you kind of go well that's a whole drivetrain region we rebuild fundamentally it's just not a car we can offer we can't we can't risk it and I said, you know, the nightmare for scenario for us is someone drives off in it, a brand new customer who's come in, they bought the car, their dreams, they drive off, they get down the road, and and then they're on the phone going, Oh, I'm just outside of the gate. Uh, could you come pick me up because I've broken down? And you're kind of like, oh, yeah. no. Like, yeah, yeah. And everything's broken. <laughs> nightmare. Like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to take some explaining um, and a few cups of coffee for them. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's one of those things where we really want to try and, make sure that when we sell a car it's right we want to try mm. and offer reassurances and we want to try and make sure that at the end of the day from our side it works better for everyone if the car works and is as they expected it and they're happy with the car and are able to enjoy it and then they keep bringing the car back to us because a one and done scenario on the car sale is a nightmare as we alluded to earlier you know there's only a finite number of cars that exist there's only yeah. x number of cars on the road for our us to work we want to sell the car and then when the customer comes back to wanting to get rid of it we want to then sell the car and ideally yeah. in between we would love to service it <laughs> yeah. um and that's kind of the the cycle that we've got to work on we're not um we're unfortunately not making skittles or m&ms or anything <laughs> like that where it's just like okay we can just knock up some more and roll them off the production line and here they are it's uh but in, yeah there's in only the perfect world then if if that all goes well you don't need anywhere near the number of customers. If, if that was like Absolutely. a perpetual cycle and you just got the same cars back and you service the same cars, then like you're like, wow, okay, we could get away with like whatever it is, 200 cars or something, like just constantly rolling through and back out again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that, is, that is kind of, you know, I think uh, I said earlier, like when we came to buy the business, you do the research, you do the looking around, but, you know, there are no, there are no silver bullets that exist within the industry. It's not like, oh, if you do this, yeah, yeah, you're guaranteed, you know, a, an eternal life of of success <laughs> and riches. Is it's a case of you know, everyone's 
trying to do the same thing, which is, you know, keep customers happy, maintain their customer base and, you know, ultimately provide a, a good experience for people where they want to keep coming back. Um, and that's the kind of, that's the aim of, of the game. And, yeah. you know, we're not making brand new cars, you know, part of the, the I guess, the kind of modern car industry is, you know, someone may not like, uh, you know, the latest Skoda Fabia, but they might like the facelift one. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll come back. Um, you know, you're dealing a lot more with a, with a product fundamentally and do people like it or not? Do they like the way it handles? Do they like the way it drives? If they don't, they'll go for something else. Yeah, if they yeah, think yeah. it's good, they'll, they'll come back. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. Where uh, the Unleashed, where did the idea for yes. this come from? Uh, so really, you and know, fundamentally, yeah, so the, the Unleashed is, is, is essentially, it's a car, it's a bespoke car that we've kind of built out. And effectively, it's a car which combines a number of upgrades, but is built all into, into, into one car. It's aesthetically changes, um, it's off a Series 3 type base but it's aesthetically changed and it's mechanically changed to improve it, to modernize it, to bring it into kind of today's world. But what we don't want to do is lose the underpinning and the feeling of, okay, you are in a, you are in a, an E-type, you are still driving an E-type. Um, you know, and our feeling was the series three and my personal feeling is, you know, the series three is, is a car, which I think is a, is a great classic car really nice example, you know, good usable car, um, very comfortable, very easy to use, pretty bulletproof. Um, and it, by that time, you know, British Leyland were involved with Jaguar. And so some decisions have been made that compromised the overall finish of the car um, and compromised the overall usability of the car. And our view was, well, why can't you, why can't you kind of overcome those problems and make the car a lot more usable and a mm. lot friendlier to drive and a lot more luxurious. And we just felt like the series three was an underutilized starting point for, for, for a bespoke build, so to speak. And so that's kind of where that, 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 that evolved from. And it really has kind of gone into something whereby we've just looked to look, make it a lot bit more luxurious and a bit more modern in its, in its usability. So, you know, it's got things like, fuel injection it's got things like air conditioning you know things you wouldn't necessarily associate with a classic car it's got heated seats it's got electric windows it's got things that you just look at a classic car and kind of go well actually you wouldn't expect those things to necessarily come as standard on a classic car and then in terms of the british leyland aspect of it you know we've got rid of the plastic we've got rid of the kind of vinyl and made it a lot more it's more leather based it's got more a lot more um a lot nicer finish on the materials on the inside. And uh, yeah, it's something whereby we've focused on trying to make the car usable, enjoyable, comfortable, but also luxurious. Mm. And the various sort of bits and pieces of it, was it, was this like a, an evolution of things you've sort of tweaks you've done to cars over time? Or did you go, let's start, no, we want to do this project, let's start and then work out what needs to be done and then move forward. Or was it kind of like, was there a lot of feeder material up to that point? Oh, yeah, a lot of feeder material. You know, it's it's kind of, it started really from the idea of, well, 
what if we were to combine all of our upgrades? You know, we had a number of the upgrades and they were obviously you know, some people want better brakes, some people want fuel injection, some people want a five speed gearbox, some people want aircon, but Mm. It was rare anyone came in and said, well, I'll tell you what, I want them all. Um, yeah. And I would like you to put them all on a newly restored car. Um, and yeah, and that kind of came in and, and all came together at the same time, whereby we could we could put them all onto, onto one car. And we were able to make a number of aesthetic changes, which allowed us as well to to change, just sharpen up the look of it a little bit, um, where we kind of got rid of things which we thought weren't clean, spoiled the line a little bit um and and made the car a bit more comfortable but then a number of the upgrades as well we had to bespokely develop so they weren't there we hadn't already done them um we hadn't tested them so to speak and so we had to kind of go okay well how can we how can we how can we integrate this or what can we do to overcome this challenge or this problem mm. and those things like we would like it to be a kind of clean cut thing where it's like, okay, everything is done from this moment and we, and that is the car. But the reality is, is, you know, every customer has slightly different demands. We've just finished an unleashed car and the customer is based in the Dominican Republic. He doesn't want a hardtop on it. So as an example, like, you know, all the other cars have had hardtops and soft tops integrated into both of them, yeah. but we kind of gone, okay, well, we'll take the hardtop off. We're building one at the moment for a customer and he wants to kind of change the rear end of it ever so slightly. And so it's like, okay, so we'll, we'll change the rear end for him. And it's fundamentally the underpinnings of the car are as they sit now, but we are constantly evolving and changing things which are requiring bespoke development and bespoke work. And everyone has a slightly different take of where they want the car to get to. And I guess to a degree, that's the beauty of the classic car industry a little bit is it's, you know, you're dealing back in the handcrafted, you're walking into the workshop and you're going, well, I don't quite like that. Can we change this? Um, against, you know, where you, you have to choose from a spec list. It's not, yeah. it's not a spec list, so to speak. There are things that we just can't achieve and we, and we can't do. Um, but at the same time, you know, we are able to accommodate and make amends and and, and adjust the cars as, as people see fit. But it's... Uh, yeah, it's something that has evolved from a list of upgrades that we had, but also a number of probably developed parts that we've had to manufacture and kind of work in to to, to make work. Yeah, and and you won't let someone just order whatever it is, the vents or something, you know, that from the unleashed. No, so it's one of those kind of things. Like from our side, it's always been a bit of a stumbling block because you know. There are the number of times that we'll have an inquiry about, well, can I buy this? Can I buy the seats? Can I buy the center console? Can I buy the dash ends? Can I buy whatever it may be? Um, or, you know, can I just buy the fuel injection? Or can I buy yeah. this? Or can you just fit this part of it? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, in theory, yeah, absolutely. You know, in theory, you could. But one of the things is we are, we're, undoubtedly charging a lot of money you know there's no getting away yeah. from that it it's not cheap restoring cars isn't cheap um and i wouldn't pretend it was uh and you know as part of that is customers are placing a lot of trust in us um and also they're placing a lot of you know belief that the the, the value of the car exists with the value of the of us as an entity yeah. you know fundamentally is they're buying an unleashed from from us and so 
all the whilst you know while we exist and whilst we're we're prospering is in theory the, the value of those cars should remain you know certainly if we were to disappear then people in 20 years time be going so who's the type of game and what do they <laughs> yeah. do and who ran it and they'll, they'll be looking at this video going car look at these look at these two young young whippersnappers <laughs> on here uh, <laughs> and yeah and it's uh it's kind of so those those things exist and our view was actually to hold that value for the customer we yeah. can't go and say yeah here's here's the center console and allow you know somebody to effectively recreate it if somebody re- recreates it they recreate it and you know we have seen examples whereby cars have come out with the you know with exactly the same things as, as we've got and people are remanufacturing bits that we've manufactured to fit onto our cars and that's fine if, if people do that that's the industry and there's you know no greater form of flattery than imitation but you know certainly from our point of view is that's fine if other people do it but what we can't be seen to be doing is going oh yeah we'll support an after sales market where effectively yeah. we'll allow somebody to rebuild it and go okay and we've had customers who have come in who have spent a lot of money restoring cars who wants to brand their cars as an unleashed mm. but haven't gone for an unleashed offering yeah and it's kind of like well we can't yeah no unfortunately you know we can't we can't do that if they go away and brand it themselves okay well you know i can't i can't stop them it's it's, yeah. it's, well, it's their car quite a few manufacturers <laughs> love doing that though like big manufacturers is it ferrari loves this one like someone buys a ferrari and then they change the badge like they put a stupid badge on the front yeah. or the side and then there's like lawyers and all sorts of stuff and they're like no you can't you can't do that you have to put it back and you're like yeah, yeah. it's their car <laughs> They kind of should be able to really do whatever they like. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And I think, you know, that's, um, there's certainly been cases in the classic car world where people have, you know, I think, you know, people have been remaking certain cars and, you know, that's kind of come back to buy them. Um, Which seems a shame that given, you know, certainly in the Jaguar space, the the main dealer has not always necessarily supported the historic market in terms of yeah. there has been no parts supply, there has been nothing, and, and and it has been down to these people who have spent a lot of time, effort, and money to offer that support. Yeah, and to a degree, they they they, they are kind of getting penalised a little bit for potentially having done that in the past. You know, and don't get me wrong; I'm sure there are scrupulous operators within the space, um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, there are there are just genuine people who were trying to do trying to do the right thing or trying to enjoy their own car. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just making tweaks and whatnot. The um, so with the unleashed cars, let's ju- let's just do a little run through the process. Um, where <laughs> a car comes in, it gets a full restoration, I guess, but. Do you do yeah. more in that process of stripping it down and whatnot? Do you sort of stiffen it up and stuff like that? Yeah. So I guess the starting point is, you know, a customer will come to us and will fundamentally inquire about having an unleashed bill. The, 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 the starting point is, do they have a car or do they not have a car? If they don't have a a, a, a base car or its own car for the project, then then obviously we can source that. Yeah. Um, and then that's the kind of that's where we start from. Once the car arrives, it will then we inspect it um, to make sure that we understand what the car is and what it isn't, um, depending on if they've sourced it or we've sourced mm. it. And then we go through and effectively start stripping it down. We itemize the strip down. Once that happens, the car gets blasted and it goes into the bodywork. As you say, in the bodywork, there is strengthening that happens through through the car through the lower half of it there is also a process of modifying 
the floors and modifying the ride height for the customer because the seats that we that we use and that we kind of have manufactured are are essentially will sit taller and so they will sit the the driver higher within the car yeah um and so we have we we adjust things to to sort that that aspect out um then that will be where ideally if they did want any further modifications doing that would happen in that stage as well so Mm. like this customer that's coming and wants to slightly alter the rear end of the car is that will happen then uh it'll be it's a nightmare if it happens um once we paint the car um because then we're just so limited on what we can do but yeah fundamentally then we go into that and then it will go into a dry fit stage so we dry fit um, any kind of component modifications that have happened we will also uh, dry fit chrome glass um engine gearbox if they have had some particularly particularly unique setup undertaken on that basis otherwise we're able to do a lot of it through measurements um and then we go into shaping paint um and in the paint stage they can choose the color so and the color is fundamentally theirs to choose you know we, we don't restrict it we won't say oh you know you can only choose from jaguar colors um so they can basically go for whatever they want um and we will paint it in that color for them um and then it kind of comes through to the workshop and fundamentally at that point we would have rebuilt the engine we would have rebuilt the gearbox or or, or manufactured the gearbox we would have rebuilt the back end um and all the components would have been restored so every nut bolt washer bush um bit of trim bit of leather bit of vinyl everything is inspected and everything is restored so we won't take apart even if it's behind the dash which is you know covered over by whatever is by leather by vinyl by whatever it may be and hidden away is we won't take that bit and go it's a bit rusty doesn't matter no one's going to see it and and screw that back on is everything is is restored it's all new nuts bolts washers that are fitted and 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 everything is gone through um and whatever needs replacing gets replaced so you know if it's a case of we inspect a suspension part and we're not we're not happy with with how it is or how it would restore then we will replace that part because fundamentally what we're trying to achieve for someone is a product which for all intents and purposes is as good as something will leave the factory yeah. today so to speak is what we don't want what we're not trying to do is provide someone which is with something which is looks like it was from 1972 <laughs> but has been restored today is it's kind of a very different philosophy on the um, on the restoration side and so yeah then we build it and then once again trim is completely at their discretion so you know we we have a a kind of set guidelines for trim that we try and work towards. But ultimately, if a customer wants to alter it, they want to alter the color scheme. Um, obviously, they can choose the colors, but we have, we strictly go black and then a contrast on the trim. Um, so it'll be black and whatever other trim color they wanted. Yeah. So we've done you know, black and cognac, black and tan. Um, and fundamentally is we've done gray, uh, black and gray. And so it, but current customer that we're talking to you know he wants to slightly change that and maybe not have black in there um at all and so yeah that's that's fine that's not a problem um and then yeah and then they can choose that so you know if a customer came in and said oh, well i want a a pink car with uh, contrasting yellow 
fluorescent yellow trim, um, we might try and kind of say, well, you know, <laughs> are, you, are you sure? And yeah. if they say, yeah, 100%, never been sure of anything else, then pink with fluorescent yellow, it, it will go. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's their yeah, that's their decision. And ultimately, it's their car. And so, you know, um, if they want that and that's what they've always kind of dreamt about, then uh, then, then so be yeah. it. Before we deliver it, so once we've kind of rebuilt the car and gone through it, then we do we do 500 miles, which is part of our, we, we, we term it the Geneva Principle, which is the idea that, you know, E-Types drove for their launch in 61 from from Coventry to Geneva. Um, and then the idea is, is we undertake the same amount of miles as Shakedown. If a car can make it from Coventry to Geneva, then that should be suitable to ensure that a car is uh, is good enough to go out the door. Yeah. And then once that happens, we then go through the car again. And fundamentally, any bits that have deteriorated, any obviously if any bits fail or whatever, then we replace them. But we also want to make them feel like they've got a brand new car. We don't them to get a car and go, or oh, I've spent a lot of money and it looks yeah. like someone's driven it for 500 miles. <laughs> so yeah, we go back through it and replace any bits that have deteriorated, any bolts that have kind of lost their shine or whatever it may be. So they get a kind of fresh car, but they know it's going to work. Um, you know, there's always, there's always going to be challenges um, with any kind of restoration car. Uh, fortunately with the unleashed branded cars so far, we haven't had any major issues. You know, everything's kind of gone and, and customers are enjoying them and out and uh, out and about and not in them. And uh, yeah, and, and, and appear to be having a good time. So it's uh, at the moment, all, uh, all, all has gone well. Mm. When, um, when you sort of, how does the pricing work? Is, do you, is it just, I want to, I come to you, I want to buy an unleashed, vaguely, you know, all the usual stuff. Do you go, you go, okay, you got a car or we get you a car, et cetera, et cetera. But then once you've got the car, is it then, this is basically the price or is it, we think we need, how does that work? Do you, does it just flow a bit over time depending on the amount of restoration needed? Or do you go? No, nah, no. This is the price. That's it. Yeah. So pretty much, pretty much, this is the price. Essentially, we know the price. Um, the the watch out from our side is we have had a couple of people who have kind of come in wanting an unleashed, and you know they've said that they're going to source the car or they have the car, and then they've sent through kind of pictures of the car that they're looking to buy, and you're a bit like, well, hang on a second, you know that doesn't that doesn't look like a car, you know, yeah. that looks like a box of bits. Um, and it's like, so in some instances we're kind of like, well, hang on, you know, so we have said to people like the price is the price, but fundamentally like the car needs to be together Decent. as a car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter if it doesn't drive. It doesn't matter if the engine sees on it because we're, we're rebuilding that, but what, you know, you can't bring in kind of a two boxes and go okay you know but it didn't have an engine it didn't have a gearbox it didn't have any back end it didn't have any suspension parts oh and the you know it's in two halves because the it's completely rotted through everywhere it's like well fundamentally we are building a whole new car and that's that is really what we do anyway but it's kind of a case of well actually you know we're not we're not environment we're not retaining anything of the car. We're not, yeah. not looking at anything here. And so, um, yeah, that's uh, the, the price, the price. 
um, providing that, you know, we're, we work together with customers. And then, to be honest, everyone that's commissioned one has effectively come in and, and has been very fair, very reasonable, and has worked with us if they want to source the car themselves, if they want us to source the car, uh, or if they've got the car, they've always kind of worked with us to find a, a decent example or an example that we can work off. Don't get me wrong, you know, it's not, most of them are not on the road driving usable, good condition yeah. cars. They all they all needed restoring. Um, but yeah, fundamentally is we've had one or two people have said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then they've kind of found a car for, you know, five grand or whatever. Yeah. And, and trying to work up that base. Yeah, but like, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, not it's so not sure. going to be a good, yeah. A, a friend of mine was, was having a build done from someone. It, it wasn't an E-type and he'd found a car and got it sent to them. And then they got the car. And they were like, no, no, unfortunately. <laughs> and it was, it, the thing was, the price of the car, the base car that was being done, is really cheap. So they were like, look, yeah. seriously, like, we could do this car, but, like, we're going to spend so much time making it f- fine. We can just go and find one that's better for way less. Like, we'll just... Yeah, I don't know what you want to do with this one, but you just need to buy another. We're just going to go buy another one for, like, whatever it was, 15 grand or something. <laughs> like, and we'll start with that. And he was like... Oh, I've spent loads on this. Like I had it shipped from this person, this person. But you're like, okay, fine, whatever. Like the end result, we're gonna have to start with a different one. Yeah, exactly. And we've had it in the like we've had, you know, we've had customers. Ultimately, you know, as you say, you know, we've had a, very much at the other end of the spectrum where a customer has bought in like a stunning, stunning example of a car. Mm. I say stunning, you know, for me, like, I love, a, I love Patina. Like, I, yeah. I, I quite like, like, you know, feeling like a bit, a bit of the history exists within the car and the trim's kind of a little bit cracked, a little bit worn, and, but not not ripped or tear, but it's just, you know, and it's like, you kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, you know, it, it tells a story, like, and anything like that's that's nice. And, um, yeah, they bought it and they kind of go, right, I want to fully restore this. And you're a bit like, <laughs> ah, it's it's such a shame because you're never going to get that back. Like yeah. that's, you know, that's maybe that, well, it, it could be 60, 60, 70 years of, of wear there, or it could be, you know, who knows, maybe they had to do an early retrim on it, but fundamentally you've got such a nice original car. And they're like, look, I want it restored. If you yeah. don't restore it, I'll just take it somewhere else. And you know, I want the car restored. And you're kind of like, fair enough. Like, like, yeah. Okay. No problem. But, <laughs> Yeah, you're a bit like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, ow, it hurts. It hurts every time that you like, take it off. And yeah, um, I get that. Fortunately, there's a few further between. I, I, I get it. And like everyone has their own reason and whatever. And probably possibly even depending on your budget and how, how you look at things. But I think it's always, if you're going to do the full job, there is no point there's zero point in having, for example, you know, like a perfectly redone engine that's like had loads of money spent on it. And you're like, yeah, and we're literally going to throw that in the bin or like just start again yeah. on that. Like, check it out. Do you ever get people trying to sort of maintain the patina throughout one of these like large projects of restoring? But like, yes. I kind of want to keep that. Yeah. 
we've had some people who've done it like extremely well, like really, really well. Um, so it's getting harder and harder because the cars are just the restoration cars now are coming through in poor and poor condition. And so you're kind of going, you know, it's a bit of a shame actually because we've got a customer at the moment who who really wants to do that, but the cars just the the car and everything associated with the car is just like too far gone. Yeah. And so we tried like we tried restoring the, the interior and we tried to kind of reconize it and make sure it like looks look nice but when you put it in this freshly painted shell you just kind of looked at it and just went ah oh, it doesn't <laughs> it just didn't it, it yeah. looked like someone's old poor interior um but when you get like a good car that kind of comes in and we've had it before whereby people have basically done exterior repaints and then they've kind of polished engine bays up and, and actually they've kept the original paint and then they've kept like the boot floor paint and, and those kind of things. And yeah. some of those have chalk markings on for the chassis numbers. So you start kind of going actually, you know, that's, that's the original paint and there's the original chalk marking and you kind of go and people are like, wow, like that is, that that's super cool. And it looks like, Okay, you can tell a slight difference, but fundamentally, when you look at it, you kind of go, yeah, that, that, that looks original, looks really cool. Yeah. And you've had it whereby like trims and things like that. And, but you're relying on the car, the underlying car not being too far gone. And then when you integrate it, but it's such a difficult process where you find to try and integrate the fully restored with the original. It mm. can so easily look like people kind of come in and go, yeah, that's cool, but why didn't you restore the interior? Yeah. And you're like, oh, because, you know, it, it, we did, it didn't need it, yeah. it. And you're like, yeah, well, well, it looks like it does need it. And you're like, <laughs> kind of see it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult not to fall between two stools. And then, like, we have, we've had in the past whereby some of the rocker switches have discolored, and so you replace some of them, but you leave some of them as the originals. Mm. And then the new one sticks out like a sore thumb because you're like, yeah it looks so new and it's different. It's made of different material. It's got a different level of shine to it and all this kind of stuff. And then somebody's like, then it just, and then they go actually replace it. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a shame, but it makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah it's interesting. With the unleashed builds, are they lighter at all? Uh, yeah, they are lighter than, than in terms of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah they are lighter. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it. I was thinking just to make sure. Like, and then, so, yeah, the, the, the trim can be lighter. Um, no, they, they are they are lighter in weight, um, and and they are they're they're obviously quicker in in brake horsepower and pound for, and they've got more torque than than a traditional car. So they are as an overall package a quicker car um through naught sixty and 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 so on and, and they're, they're they're faster away. Um yeah we kind of we took them to a way which I can't remember the the exact weight of them, but you know the cars are pushing out about four hundred brake horsepower mm. um and about four hundred foot pounds of torque which is on you know traditionally we haven't yet put one back on the rolling roads kind of post fully being broken in yeah. you know, post it's 500 miles and then being used by the customer so who knows it could as it bends down a bit more and gets a bit more settled we could we, we could see a bit more power from them but um yeah certainly from from standards um it's i think about 270 brake horsepower from standards yeah. it's a it's a big step up hence hence the strengthening of the chassis and the strengthening of the body to try and accommodate for that you know lasting 
once it starts twisting or, or anything like that, um, which would be yeah a problem, especially in the meantime where the doors won't shut properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, I, I actually so, so I came down, and visited you guys, had a little poke around, and took one of the. I, I presume it was a customer car, but I don't think it had been delivered. Well, obviously, I'm being delivered because I got to drive it at your place yet um, for a little, yeah. little spin for like 20 minutes or half an hour, what it was, um, and it, it was a very nice thing. Um, I don't have, as I said, much experience of E-type, so it was a bit of a shame because we, we tried to find another E-type, and we should have probably planned this better. That like a, just a standard. <laughs> series three or whatever for me to get a reference point because i imagine it would have been a significant difference between the two but um driving it it, it, it to me it just it, it just felt like a, a really nice classic convertible like there was no weird suspension traits or anything it had loads of power sounded great like just it just delivered on all the stuff that i would sort of expect a any a, a nice e-type to deliver but I imagine yeah. it is actually, in reality, quite different to a, a normal one when you drive them back to yes. back. Yeah, a Series 3 E-Type is, is, is essentially built as a as a Grand Tourer. Um, mm. So it's, it's longer, wider, and, you know, it's uh, it's a bit more relaxed if, than a Series... Like, if you were to drive a Series 1, they're, they're, they are sports cars. You know, they are your kind of... Um, they're, they're a bit more revvy, they're... Um, they're a bit more lively. They're a short, narrower car, so they they can slide a bit easier. Um, and so, yeah, the, you know, the Series Three is a bit more of a Grand Tour. And fundamentally, what what we try and build in is a bit more. We're actually focused a bit more on the sportier side of it. Mm. That's really what we're trying to achieve. Is we don't want to lose the Grand Tour aspect, but because you've got that built into the car already, what we're trying to add effectively is a degree of sports and a degree of power yeah. and, and and power delivery. And so. One of the kind of key differences is that you know, the fuel injection gives is a lot cleaner power delivery, and you've got a lot more a lot more pull, and you can kind of get it right through the rev range. So you can go, you've got low down torque, it will pull quite nicely, but actually it will pull to quite high up in the rev range as well, um, which is you know something that a traditional series three doesn't doesn't necessarily do. And as I said, it's a bit more, it's a bit lazier um, and a little bit more kind of you know, relaxed on the uh, yeah. on the driving style. Um, and some people would say maybe a bit vague on the steering, um, that kind of the, that kind of feedback, and that's where the difference comes. And fundamentally, you know, that biggest difference does come in the fuel injection, really, because you are running from going from a carburetor to to a fuel injected car. So there is there is a big difference, big yeah. difference there um, that that occurs. And so that, but the power delivery is so much nicer. It's a lot cleaner on the car, and it pulls a lot a lot nicer it rides the road a lot better it's a lot more direct on the steering um and ultimately we've got a lot more setup options as well for a customer if they want to change how it does ride and how it does drive yeah um and that's yeah that's nice to kind of give them a said if you were to come in and say okay actually i prefer my cars a bit more direct i prefer them a bit or whatever i prefer them a bit softer then yeah okay all of that is possible um and we can we can really get it kind of dialed into how you would want to drive it and how you would want to use it um and that's the nice the nice thing about it is is it's a lot more customizable for the customer yeah and your your customers i mean they don't necessarily want to give out like who's who and whatever but like your customer profile um, it, have you found you've generally had maybe people that have been into 
more modern stuff who want a classic and but don't want that or they've had a bunch of classics or yeah how, how, how does the 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 people that you find you for the unleashed cars where do they sort of does, is there a general trend or is it a big variety a big variety like partly firstly the most obvious variety is is locationally like we we have a lot of customers that aren't uk based for yeah. the cars um and that's predominantly where the cars are are sold to um and generally they are they are classic car people um or they've owned classic cars in the past but actually to a degree what they want to try and do is is get a classic car which they can use a lot more yeah. and which they have a lot more confidence in um you know increasingly now and i think i've, I've probably you know said this a hundred times so probably everyone that has spoken to me um you know, for uh, any length of time could skip about the next minute and a half <laughs> um <laughs> maybe a bit less i'll try and i'll try and keep the story short but fundamentally is buyers today that what we find is buyers today are coming into the market and they aren't used to driving down the road and the car having a problem and then yeah. you know opening the bonnet and going okay right let's try and get in there let's try and fix it um and fundamentally is when they come into the classic car world that is their concern and increasingly those are the people that are arriving in the classic car market now is you know myself i i am in my 30s i know i need to comment i'm i'm wearing it well uh <laughs> yeah just my own my own my own kind of <laughs> uh, big up crew um my own hype man um yeah. but yeah it's uh it fundamentally is you know i i when i was younger don't think i broke down in a car i don't remember yeah. breaking down in a car it was never something which had had occurred to me i am you know i i have probably broken down in 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 one car um that i use as an everyday car and that was actually funnily enough about six months ago driving on the m25 in my in my land rover so in my defender so that was uh that was an experience um but that's the first time i've broken down you know and fundamentally is you're getting people that are coming in now in their 30s in their in their 40s and they're entering the classic car market and they've they may have experienced breaking down but it's it's very very rare and their concern is is what they hear is classic car you know you, you're yeah. gonna break down in it and so that's their instant concern. And, you know, I remember, I think I might have told you this one again, but I remember when, you know, my dad would tell me, you know, his parent or his family was from Manchester, but he lived in Southampton. Uh, his parents lived in Southampton and he grew up in Southampton. And they would kind of head up to Manchester to see the, 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 the broad family and by kind of Oxford services, they were broken down waiting for the <laughs> RSC or the AA to come out. And it was kind of, that was the trip. It was like, yeah. you know, we'll stop at, we'll stop at Winchester and then <laughs> we're kind of, and by Oxford we'll be broken down. So, and he said, that was it. You know, that was, that was the, uh, that was the kind of family, family holiday going up to see family or, you know, and it was, said, it was a massive part of life back then. And I, this is, it's not something I've I've experienced. I I do see it. Um, if you go to like Goodwood Revival Revival, the old members meet or something, you're often on that bit, sort of coming towards Goodwood, and there's just like classic cars, just like left, right, just pulled over, steaming. Cause it's always hot, and then you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it, why yeah. I don't drive yeah, one of those cool all the time. <laughs> that's it, and I think that's. 
that's the fear that the buyer has and they look at it and they kind of go ooh and with the unleashed cars it's you know they have that kind of confidence of right well actually this shouldn't happen because hopefully this is being I know and actually I, I think one of the the industries in general I think this is not E-type specific I think this is classic car specific is people generally are a lot more dialed into that um, and people are trying to overcome that fundamentally mm. is like, don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a lovely thing about, or there's a kind of um, poetic nostalgia about running points and, and, and whatnot. And, but it's if you can get electronic ignition and they're not going to close up and your customer isn't happy getting under the bonnet with feeler gauges trying to respace points between whilst it's roasting hot yeah. by the side of the M25 when you know, you've got HGVs rumbling past, is... If they're not bought into that, then, you know, there is a solution now and the solution is pretty good and generally doesn't result in that. So it's kind of, you know, that's what people are trying to avoid. And I think that's what people are concerned about when they come into the market. And so, you know, for me, I think it's uh, that's what that's what really the Unleashed is is playing towards and is appealing to. And that's how people are coming into it. And actually, they are younger you know younger buyers than what we would have for our traditional restoration mm. side of, of it towards a standard specification interesting that is i'm 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 slightly aware of uh of, of, of time and we're, we're we're cracking along so um so i thought well, maybe maybe start to sort of feathering off towards the end um so i normally wrap these okay. up with uh with with five questions Let's start okay. all the way. do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey so probably two that spring to mind, um, but so we we did our first rally, uh, our first kind of classic rally around Greece. That mm. was pretty memorable, maybe for all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> we didn't realise what it was going to be, and so we turned up in a kind of last minute change of car with no roll cage in, no helmet, no lights, like interior lights, yeah, um, and then basically it ended up being a kind of uh stage rally which you drive between the stages of around like cliffs and yeah. it ended up raining um on a couple of them and we were there had a brief wander around the car park and realized that we were the only car that didn't arrive with a roll cage in it um <laughs> race car yeah <laughs> yeah and basically went oh no we've made a terrible uh, mistake but actually it was they end up being you know a fantastic trip where we kind of stuck at the back of every timing section with no idea what we were doing no idea yeah. how to read like oh average 30 miles an hour in this and do 50 miles an hour here and and whatever we found our own yeah. way around and we were the only people using iphones as white well, as trip <laughs> computers because we had you know it's a 0.2 of a mile and then you're going through some pass in greece and this trip the iphone's lost all signals so yeah. you're <laughs> miles down the road yeah, that was that was an adventure, um, and that would probably be my most memorable driving trip. But you know, we drove to Monaco for the uh, historic Grand Prix in I think twenty eighteen, and that was that was fantastic and you know pretty pretty um, relevant because that's happening this weekend as well. So uh, we did that, that is, in any time. That is an event I've always wanted to go to. Um, not really, not enough to actually bloody organise to go, but <laughs> I've always wanted to go, um, and I. I, I was meant to go this year and, and it, it's it funny though when you, if you sick. 
yeah, if you do get the chance to go, it's great. It's a great drive as well. We just said we drive down there in an E-Type, but maybe it was just luck. But the number of other classic cars and modern cars that you drive past on the route down there and everyone's waving and, you know, whatever, kind of, you know, it feels like you're part of a community trip that's all going down there together. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, it's something that's well worth doing. Um, My my camera's just died for one second because I forgot to plug it in. But... (laughs) I can through the uh, joys of yeah. maybe plugging it back in. We'll keep we'll, we'll keep rolling. We'll keep rolling, and I'll I'll, I'll put some power in. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like a good one. And those sorts of trips with um, when you get another bunch of cars and whatnot, it, it really adds. Uh, I find a, a lot of sort of extra value and and fun. Um, next question. Yes. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, and you get like a five hundred pound banger on the side, so you get two cars but one. <laughs> As long as I don't have to name the £500 banger. You, right? don't, you, you don't have to. Um, okay. it's, basically, it's so you can have something slightly practical, if a bit, if rubbish, on the side, and then you can have one car. What would it be? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, I, the car that, you know, I would, that I drive and I've, I've uh, it's basically on and off has been the car that I've had for, probably over 10 years said on and off has been a, has been a Land Rover Defender. So I'm not a particularly, um, I'm not particularly tough to please. Um, and I would certainly quite happily take a, take a, a, a Land Rover Defender. But I think probably if I was to go, I've always had a bit of an itch for an Audi RS6, um, which I feel like I quite like the idea of, of an estate, but yet also having the kind of sports car, yeah option and i've always had that kind of itch since that's that's needed and maybe needed scratching but what i found with those kind of cars is generally i kind of i get maybe a bit bored quite quickly of them i feel like they're kind of yep. too um but i think yeah i think i think i, I was given that i've I think I'll go with the RS6. I think I'll go with the Audi RS6. I think that will be... I'll probably get bored of it and then end up <laughs> wishing that I'd gone for a Defender and yeah. then try and find a Defender for £500, <laughs> uh, which I can only imagine what I would end up with. But um, I think I'll go for the rest of my life. I'll go with an RS6 and yeah. accept that I may become extremely disillusioned and bored with it. Fair but enough. I think that, that that sort of car is super appealing as like a... But it will do everything kind of well etc on paper um i i don't want to diverge too much because of, of, of time but i i have i have just bought a car like that really um, i bought an e63 okay yeah, yeah 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 um, yeah because yeah. i wanted the e-class because it has it has the biggest boot of all of those yeah. cars by, by quite a long way and i've got the 63 because i feel like my le- next family big car is going to be electric so let's have something a bit stupid and immediately like day one it's stupid and pointless but that is kind of fun but it is definitely pretty pointless because it has tons of grip so fast but also just massive and really heavy so like it doesn't it it, it's not a sports car because it's a massive estate but it is equally like quite impressive it's sort of like impressive and cut a slight stupid um that's it i yeah. so my dad looked at the e63 that was a car so when i was saying like when we talk yeah. about because he was looking at cars cars to buy um and i think he's he's, he's going to lean towards the electric route but uh yeah i was saying like i just think something like that like the e63 um or yeah so like 
the RSs, the RSs. RSs you've got, you've got the space. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the practicality, but you've got like, I mean, you've just got performance on tap and most yeah. people, your everyday car person is going to look at it and go, oh, on a state, I could smoke that. And then you're yeah, going to yeah, be yeah, like, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, nope. Not today. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, right, most undervalued car at the moment. What do you think should be worth more? I mean, I think for me, I've got to stick to kind of what I really know the values of, which I think maybe is going to be a bit a bit dull for, for most, but That's I've right. got to say a Series 3 Roadster E-Type. Like, yep. for me, from my perspective, I, I've i been saying for a long time, I feel like that they are undervalued. I feel like that they could almost be... Like, stylistically, they're very close to the lineage of the, of the Series 1 and Series 2 yep. E-Types. But they're far enough away that they could almost be defined as their own their own kind of car. They could almost be defined as something that's not an E-type but has mm. its lineage within. Um, and I just feel like there's so much you can do with them. They are great cars, and I obviously I know the value of them extremely well, um, given that that's that's a space that kind of every day yeah. I'm looking at. So I just feel like that they are just underrated, but they sit in the shadow of the series one yeah. and and that's um that's kind yeah. of a car which i think for people what's great. what can you get a, a, a series three for now like a, you know, think, a reasonable car for i think you no. could pick up a reasonable series three roadster for you know probably 70 80 000 pounds um and if you're prepared to do some work and, and accept some some kind of nuances of it um you know and as said earlier like you could get you could get a a, a pretty decent one for a hundred thousand pounds and then you know you can get an exceptional one for 140 150 but you know i think from my side like you could pick up an everyday usable one easily enough and and you know you can do you can just do so much with them there's yeah. and i think that they're great cars and slightly undervalued and for me i quite like the look of them they're a bit yeah. of a mile my car you know, some people love them, some people hate them. But for me, I look at them and I kind of go, "It's nice that they're a bit wider, a bit longer. They're yeah. they are a seventies car, um, and I quite like it." Um, so yeah. for me, I, I, I would stick to that. And a bit more tech and whatnot. What do you think? Yes. What is your the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you looking up, googling? Okay, uh, maybe I'm going to throw 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 a bit of a curveball in here. Um, so the most interesting car for me, and and again, this is probably something which people who have who have known me have been bleating on about now for a few, mm. uh, at least a few months, but is the electric side of things. Yeah, I know it's not a car, and this is why I said it's a bit of a curveball. But I'm doing a course at the moment, and part of the course is I'm I'm looking into the kind of future of of automotive and the future of yeah. of, of driving and what they can look like. And trying to reapply it back to the classic car market, but yeah. I think the electric thing is 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 interesting. And to be honest, I spend most of my time looking at electric things around electric and hydrogen yeah. and biofuels and these kind of options. So, yeah, if I was, I mean, going for a specific car, I, I think it's a very interesting space. Um, I think a lot of people in our sort of industry are very quick to get to expletives on on electric cars uh, for all all reasons and and various things and there's a lot of valid flack leveled at the 
leveled at them but i think there's also just like like for me i look at them and they go they're a thing that exists and they might work for some people they might not work for other people but it's it's we're being pushed into that way for general transport anyway and it's i love tech like i really do like tech so there's a lot of stuff about electric cars that i quite enjoy um and it's interesting i find having some manufacturers come in and it's the first time in a long time that we've had completely new and tesla have now been around for a while so they're not new but and just look at let's say automotive in a completely there's the ability for them to just reimagine car layouts everything just the way we do stuff in cars that haven't been from these companies that have been around for 60 70 80 90 whatever that amount of time and i think that in itself is is really interesting and i I'm 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 just intrigued as to like how it's going to go, and they're kind of I, 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 there's a lot of elements of electric cars that I quite like. Yeah, I mean I'm super like I find it really interesting. I think as you say, like I understand that they're not for everyone, and I think for you know true petrol heads, it's it's yeah, it feels like sacrilege, and it's kind of you know, and 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 for classic car people like like myself, it's. Uh, maybe it's a worrying proposition, um, you know, in terms of, well, what does the future, what does that mean for classic cars yeah. and what does, what does the future hold for the industry? But actually, yeah, I've spent um, two or three, maybe four months looking and reading around. And, and I think it's just interesting because it's such a seismic shift for the industry mm. as a whole. And it's one of those things whereby actually, people aren't sure that you know battery is genuinely the future it's something that sits here today and it's proved the concept as you say like tesla you know what tesla really did for that is this long-held belief that customers didn't want anything other than petrol diesel that was the view and actually they proved to the world that people do want something else there is something else that exists and to a degree you know, people's consciousness has, has, has helped that. But, you know, I think it's, the question is, is can the world's infrastructure support a world whereby everyone is driving an electric yeah. car? That, yes. Yeah. It, it's definitely a big issue. Yeah. And, and a, a whole nother many, many, many podcasts. Um, That's it. But the, the, the one bit that I've sort of, started to realize recently is the amount of power required so like any and if anyone's ever charged an electric car or has an idea of the amount of power in a battery pack like a hundred kilowatt hour battery pack like look at your electricity bill just have a look at your electricity bill and see how much it costs to run your house and see for how long you could run your house for a hundred kilowatt hours and the answer is <laughs> a long time like the amount of yes. power you're putting into a car and people want to do it in, you know, 10 minutes. There's a reason the cables are like freaking huge. Like the yeah, massive and the infrastructure required to deliver. Um, I heard someone talking about building a car storage facility and they were putting in some charging points and they were saying, like, I can't remember the specifics, but it was basically like to put in a 50 kilowatt charger was going to be significantly more power than the rest of their building required. And then if you wanted to put in like a few, it was like, it's basically impossible. Like the, this, 
the, the cables to that part of wherever just did not exist to handle that volume and amount of electricity in one go. And that is something yeah. that is like, that is a real issue. Yes, we need to be cleaner and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone's suddenly shifting to electric cars. All that energy has got to move around a lot. It's, it's, a, it's kind of crazy. And then also, when, if you've ever like touched two battery points together or <laughs> dropped yeah. something in between two points, you go, we're dealing with a lot more electricity than any of those situations. <laughs> That's it. And I think it's, as you say, I completely agree. And that's what, you know, I spend, I think it's one of those things which I'm quite fascinated by. And I love, like you, I, I love the technology. And that's part of the thing about, you know, what we do uh, when we're doing an Unleashed car is, you know, we are integrating technology into those mm. cars. And that's, I guess, partly driven by the fact that that's what I'm interested in. That's what yeah. I believe in. And so, but it's, you know, just looking at the cars that are coming out, looking at how they're approaching, looking at the philosophy of, you know, what people are doing. And I think even in small things like, you know, Formula One against Formula E and things like that, yeah. you know, just these little snippets of, okay, well, where are people going and what are people trying to do and what are people bought into? I think it's interesting you've got more major manufacturers pulling away from Formula E and yeah. actually they're stepping into Formula One, which are yeah. not looking to go they're looking to go green and sustainable fuel, but they're not looking to go battery um, for full electric. And it's interesting that manufacturers are bought into that. Yeah. That was, that's an interesting one to sort of follow what's happened because a bunch of manufacturers went into Formula E. I think then probably did it for a couple of years or whatever. And then went like, well, we're not getting any more out of it. Like we've been into it. We're not developing our own technology. It's all like quite unified across the various cars and teams and whatever. There's not much we can do. So a lot of leaving. But then some are going back. Like, I, I can't remember who's going back in, but a couple of big manufacturers are going in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think Formula One, I'm loving that uh, Porsche and Audi are going to come in and, and all of that. But I think that is more... It's a marketing thing. It's Formula One has a lot of eyeballs on it. And especially it. now with drive to survive and all that stuff we've got the u.s market is much more interested in formula one yeah so selling performance stuff and representing your brand it makes sense to be in formula one yes but i think they said i can't remember who it was basically said the only one it's the only sort of sport it's worth motorsport it's worth being in at the moment is formula one all the others get no views they get like you're just you're just wasting money pretty much like formula one yeah. it works like mercedes make money that that team makes money and also Definitely. does all the marketing none of the other ones no one no one yeah. watches like people do but you're pretty niche if you start and watch any of the other stuff that's it i was talking the other day to a guy and he was like oh you know yeah completely understand why you know, like manufacturers are basically throwing away like Le Mans legacy or endurance racing yeah. legacy, given that, you know, fundamentally the people, that I think you were saying that the research that was done on Formula One or on endurance racing is actually, it's a niche, real enthusiast kind of club yeah. follower who will follow that kind of racing. 
And fundamentally, it's actually it's it's the participants that are most likely to be invested in the brands than it is the people watching it. Yeah. And for manufacturers, they're kind of going, well, as you say, you know, who's watching this? Who can we sell to off the back of this? And yeah. Who who's going to resonate with that message? Like, who's going yeah. to resonate with we won Le Mans? Yeah. And they're increasingly going, well, yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one. Um, and as you say, they go into Formula One and. You know, yeah, Miami Grand Prix and what is it? You yeah, know, Vegas. All the celebs. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, Martin Brundle's Grid Walks, which yeah, exactly. in itself should be a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> Always interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that's totally true because if you look at like I love WEC and all of those events such as Le Mans etc. But most of the racing is is people paying to race. It's very wealthy people paying and the cars have sponsors on it and it's generally the companies of the people that are racing or their mates or whatever now there is some that's not quite like that but there is a lot of that and then it's only when you get up to the manufacturer level of which there are very few cars actually racing that are pure manufacturer jobs and they only do it for like apart from someone like toyota who's just like we love it. We love it. And they just keep going. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. but <laughs> everyone else comes in for like a, like Ford or something. They come in cause it's the whatever anniversary. They want to drop a new car. They want to win. Yeah. So they game the yeah. entire season so that they can then win that one race. They like drive at 80% and then suddenly in the race, they're like seven seconds faster than everyone else. Um, so that they can get all the marketing splash and then they leave because that's it. Job done. Everyone loves a comeback. No one cares about the team that's just there winning every, like, or, you know, coming second for 10 years in a row. It's like, yeah. but who's coming back? Who's the new team? That's, <laughs> that's the one it. that people care about. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Right, final question. Yes. Five-car garage, unlimited value. Oh, well, obviously, I could fill it with just E-types, so um, yeah, I'll, I'll remove those for the minute. And five we'll unleashed. Go, yeah, that's it. Yeah, five unleashed, one in pink. Um, and Or I'll go five unleashed, four unleashed, and one Series 3 and one, no, no, one Series 3, one Series 1. But anyway, I'll remove all of those, and I'll go for, I'll go for cars that um, are related. Um, well, the first one that springs to mind is, is, is a D-type. Um, yep. Jaguar D type, so I would definitely go for nice. for one of those. Um, love the shape of them, love the look of them, love the story behind them. Le Mans, um, yep. and you know, love everything that goes with that. Um, think that they are just beautiful looking cars, and they look like they're going quick when they're standing still. Is yep. you know, that for me is you know, if I only had one, I would just have that, yep. and the rest <laughs> of them will go. Um, I think second. So when I was younger, I said about like the the toy cars that I had, yeah. and uh, I had an F fifty and an MC twelve. Nice. Um, and I think I would go with an MC twelve as my kind of um, as my one. It's a bit a bit more different. It's yeah. not as you know. It's kind of um, people wouldn't necessarily instantly kind of go, oh, you know, it's a Ferrari or it's this or yeah. you know, it's. Or they won't go. Oh, it's an F forty when it's an F fifty, and not yeah. knowing the difference between <laughs> the two. And so, um, yeah, I think I would have to go uh, an MC twelve uh, as 
that I had in you know in the white and all the rest of it. And it yeah. was uh, yeah, that one nice. actually, as I remember, recall it had a screw that went through the plinth up yeah. into the car. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the F fifty, he didn't have one, so it would just <laughs> rattle around in the box. So probably because I lost it. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that one, that that would have to be the second one. Um, so actually, it's funny because think, there's a customer of ours, and uh, he always had a lot. He had a Lancia Integrale, and that yeah. was a car which I always wanted. Yeah. Um, and then my view was like, once I've got the money all the space or the money and the space. Um, I would love to have a Lancia Integrale as a, as a, as a car. Yeah. They're super cool. Super duper cool. Like, yeah. Super like they're a bit cool. rubbish. And I've heard lots of people say, yeah, but 20 years ago or 15 years ago, I worked on them and they're awful, but I drove yeah. one the other day and it was cool. And I think they look cool. And that is good enough for me. And the interior is kind of fun. That's it. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I saw the the guy who has one, he was a Japanese import, but it had like blue with kind of beige interior. And it just like, I would have, I would have bought that car. Like there and then, I was like, perfect. I want that car. Like it's, uh, yeah, that would have to be it. And I think I kind of, um, one thing that's always like, I don't know, that I've always been super impressed by is um, pre-war cars mm. uh, and people's ability to drive kind of pre-war cars, <laughs> double declutching like, yeah. and making it just look simple and not making a complete fool out of themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think I would have to go for a chain-driven Fraser Nash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is just because I would want people, I would want to people to look at me how i look at other people yeah and like i go to goodwood and i watch these people like throwing these change of fraser nashes around and i'm literally like right i mean if i was in that car i think i'd be the first person to do a 10 minute lap around goodwood or something it would be like i go so slowly (laughs) yeah it's like i mean yeah i just look at them and i'm like i can feel myself becoming you know it's like it's it's, it's the best horror movie that yeah. i would ever need to watch i just look at them and i'm like i'm scared and i yeah. kind of, I've, I, a friend of mine has got has got a lee francis and he drives that and i'm like i got in that I made a complete fool out of myself and he's like yeah come on get out like oh, i i had a go in my first pre-war car um a couple of months ago maybe more than that um and i for my sins i can't remember what it was um but it had a like a prop like you know the gearbox where it just suddenly just says no like if you're not doing everything correct it's just like dunk no and you're like oh it's going great going great and then just that's it i've just got to go back down to neutral stop start again (laughs) so that's that's exactly it it was basically we drove we went we went on a trip in the US and got I got quite friendly with this guy who had a three litre Bentley. Yeah. And he let me have a go at it. And um he'd been we were in an heat up and he was in his three litre Bentley and basically we were in the vomit lock and he stuck with us. Yeah. The whole trip, like literally glued to us, like Yeah. And I thought, God, these they can't be that difficult to drive. 
And uh, yeah, him and his wife, and you know, so he was throwing her around these roads in the US all over the place, and she was, she was, you know, absorbing all of it and actually yeah. loving it. Like, she absolutely loved it. And uh, he's like, come on, have a go. And I got in it, and I got about halfway around the block, and he was like, yeah, I missed the gear. And he's like, yeah, you got to pull over. He's like, okay, pull over first, start again. Got halfway around the block, missed the gear. He's like, right, you got to yeah. pull over, start again. And so she like went again, home. A bit further down the road, and he was like, mm, "Yeah, probably best we don't do this on a public road." And <laughs> he took over, and I was like, "Okay, second time, second time that I've been humiliated in front of yeah. people." But I would think like that in my mind is like that is. I just feel like it's like the purest form of driving you can, yeah. you can reach. Like you have got to be completely in sync with the car. You got to get everything mm. right. You got to be on top of your game. If you're not, then it yeah. can go wrong and you are there is no safety there is no nothing and it's like you're, you're in you're in trouble and that kind of like life risking and life yeah. affirming affirmation whenever you go out and it is like i don't know it must feel kind of rewarding it's, when you get it right i think so and like the more you have to do the more rewarding it is and and driving something like that you're, you're like if i get around the block i'm having a great day like that that yes. in itself yeah. is like so much easier than getting in your rs6 and just blasting to like i don't know northern sweden in any t- any day of the week any time uh, of year um yeah any I, weather whatever you want yeah exactly i had a moment in this the car i was driving we were going down a hill and it got to a narrow point so where the cars parked inside a road were a bit narrow so you couldn't get two cars and i'm going down the hill and a car just decides to pull out and come up the hill towards me of which I was like, okay, I've got to stop. It was rear-only brakes. So you touch the brakes, like, a bit, and the car, the back starts to, like, go sideways. Yeah, and you're not even around. really slowing down that much. And you're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to pull the handbrake as well. And then the car in front just, like, stops. And you're like, no, I- I'm not reversing up a hill <laughs> out the way. I can't stop. Like, you need to give me a lot more space. <laughs> It was quite, it was sketchy, yeah. but like, it was okay. But, but a learning yeah, experience. Yeah, you always need that plates. Yeah. And like, I can't stop quickly. I, I can't. It's physically impossible yeah. to stop quickly. Like, <laughs> but That's yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think there's a lot in that. So how many cars have we had? Have we, have we got one more? I think you had your D-Type. I remember I had. You had, um, you That's had the Delta. The MC-12. MC-12. Yes. You, you had a phrase and, and Ash, and you got one more. Okay, so I've got to go for one more. I Have think, you got daily? So, oh. So I was actually going to say, I think, okay, yes, you're probably right. I don't have a daily. I don't think I could daily any of those anyway. Um, or you could be, daily the, 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 the Lancia, because I think the car you're talking about is the one I drove, and he drives it all the time. It's not okay. super modern, though. Yes, no, no, potentially. I think it probably is, I would think. Um, but, uh, so, okay, I, I could go for a daily. Unfortunately, it would be boring, and it would just be a Land Rover Defender. So I'm not going to go one? for that. Or old um, one? No, old one. Okay. Old you're one, not gonna Land go Rover Defender 90. No, I think I'm going to go for, instead, I'm going to daily the Lancia. Yeah. I won't make it to my 40th um, <laughs> if I daily that. And then I need to go because I've kind of taken, well, actually, yeah, I've, I've taken up a bit of historic racing. Well, I've been trying to historic race yeah. for a few years. Terribly, I might add. Um, and 
always guaranteed to be propping up the rear of any grid that is willing to accept me. Someone's got to um, do it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, someone's got to be at the back waving to waving to the fans that aren't there to yeah. see us or to see me, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, yeah, but I think I would go for, I've, I've had a bit of a hankering for a single seater and I bought a Formula Ooh. Ford Ooh. and then got scared out of it. I think I'll go for a Formula Junior, a kind of Lotus style Formula Junior. Yeah. Not that I can add a lot more because I know, don't know a lot about them. Um, yeah. But I think having like a Formula Junior Lotus car would be super cool. But I need to kind of G myself up and yeah. big myself up before yeah, so I get anywhere near it. So that, okay. And and that probably, I presume, would be the gateway to more single-seater stuff in the future. But you're not going, yeah, uh, 90s Formula One car. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, 90s. Baby steps. You've got to do the steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. Exactly. It's uh, it's something I kind of want to do. I do, you know, saloon car racing, mm. kind of, so to speak, currently, you know, classic stuff. But um, I just think, again, like like the Fraser Nash. Um, and I guess I could I could view the D type and kind of go, well, the D type is could be your, your kind of race car. Could be. I feel like <laughs> if you're single seater racing, I couldn't do pre-war racing. I just don't. There's just no way I could pretend that I can even muster up the courage to do that. But no single seat seater belt. racing, no seatbelt, no safety equipment on the edge. Like, no, no, not for me. Well, massive respect to anyone that does it. Yeah. But yeah, certainly. I think I would have to go, you know, single seat. I feel like, again, is kind of from a racing point of view, it feels like it's you're really at the purest form yeah. and you're you are you know it's it's you and the car and you have to be in tune and in sync with the car and whilst that exists within like your saloon cars i mean i race a, a mini and, and a cortina and things like that but it's like those if you're not in sync well okay you've got the massive roll cage and yeah you know, you're in a very structurally well relatively structurally sound car and so you're kind of okay and you shouldn't be too much drama so you know single seater is again it feels like it's the it's a bit more pressure and yeah it is the purest that is like the purest form unless you're on a motorbike and i think yes. that's probably more pure but like in car form a single seater there's no extra anything there's not an extra seat there's no extra metal it's just you four tires and engine brakes whatever that's it that's it that's it so i think uh i think those have to be my five i said i, I, I daily the lance here um yeah. Uh, I sure. daily the Lancia in the winter, and then I I probably uh, drive the the Fraser Nash my daily in the yeah. summer, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just just for added risk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep it on the edge. <laughs> right. It. Well, well. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's, it's all it's all gone well. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.